Cool. Uh, we are going to be all over the place today, so there's not really a, a particular passage. Uh, you can try and follow along, but I'm not going to wait on you. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we were in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14 last week, um, and we're going to kind of continue that idea that we started, peculiarity, last week, the hope of being peculiar. And today, the message title is Peculiar Like Jesus. Uh, we've been looking to the Lord for some hope these days. Hope Floats is the series that we're on last week, as I said, the hope of being peculiar from Titus 2.11. And I don't think I'm out of line to say that your dynamic hope in Christ is tied, okay? It's tied with you being slash living peculiar. Peculiar means unusual and unique. And if that can't be said of us as Christians, then something is amiss, amen? In the Bible, this idea of peculiarity comes from the Greek word perios. Let me try. I messed that up last week too. I, you know how many times I practice that word, and and then I get up here and I can't can't get it right. Okay, I'm going to get it right now. Just give me a second. Got it. Periousios. You want to try it with me and see how hard it is? Let, why don't you do that? Peri, like in puri. Say it like that. Puri, and then ooh. And then see us, like see us, see us, see us, we're here today. You put all that together and you got periousios. That's a Greek word that means this, according to Strong's dictionary, it, uh, the Greek dictionary, it means being beyond usual. Don't you like that? I like that. Periousios, by the way, this is the only place it's used in the Bible, in Titus 2, verse 14, I believe it is. That's pretty cool. Periousias, being beyond usual. Titus 2, 13 and 14 reveals to us. Now remember, we're talking about hope here. Not just being peculiar, but it's tied to hope, to our hope. And in Titus 2, 13 and 14, this is a kind of review, it speaks of, say these first three words with me. The, you out there? There we go. The blessed hope. See, we're talking about hope. And then he defines that, Paul does. That is the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he comments on Jesus. You know, Jesus, the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. Don't miss that. And then this next phrase, read it with me. You ready? Are you ready? Say yes. yes. Oh, you're ready this time. Here we go. A people that are his very own. Stop at the comma. Isn't that cool? Have you ever seen? That's the NIV translation. And that phrase right there, that underlined phrase, is the NIV translation of periousios. A people that are his very own, peculiar, unique, unusual. So your dynamic hope is tied in this passage to your peculiarity in Christ. Now, our relativistic world today likes the idea of being peculiar. But it's a peculiarity that is exactly the opposite of both the motivation and meaning of what the Bible reveals. 
the world's peculiar is often a sort of in-your-face, kind of weird, absurd, and a gaudy display that's kind of meant to, to shock you, to make a shocking statement and draw attention to self. But peculiar, hear me now, peculiar in the Bible sense, the biblical sense, is not that at all. Peculiar in the Bible is being, being beyond usual, that's its definition, in a way that proclaims grace and truth and draws attention not to self, but to God and Christ. So we can, we can kind of put that umbrella up and say, oh, that's kind of cool concept, but, but what I want to do today is to ask this question. So what does that look like? What, is, what does peculiar look like? Or what is peculiar in the biblical sense supposed to look like? Well, the short answer to that, I think, is, is really quite obvious and quite simple. It looks like Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, Jesus was peculiar in all the right ways. He was unusual. He was unique. He was different. And my thought in this, and I believe it's from the Spirit of God, is maybe if we look in Scripture at some of Jesus' peculiarities, we might learn something about ourselves and maybe the Holy Spirit will inspire and empower us to be more peculiar like Jesus, which is our message title today. In that, in that right there, peculiarity like Jesus lies our greatest hope now in this life and when he comes to be like him. So here's the question. What does peculiar look like? What, what are we talking about today? What's the question on the table? I don't think anybody's here. I think they all left. What, what is the question? What does peculiar look like? Well, we're going to look at it in Jesus Christ. First one, you ready? If you're taking notes, Jesus was, first one, peculiar in essence. In essence, in and just who he was, what he was made of, so to speak. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the angel revealed to Joseph that Mary had not been unfaithful to him when she was pregnant with the Christ child. The angel explained, what is conceived in her is from where? The Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, 35, Gabriel answers, he's talking to Mary now, Mary's question as to how this pregnancy would take place. And he explained to her, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. See, Jesus Christ was no mere sinful, spiritually dead man. He was peculiar in essence as the second Adam. He was created in the fully alive image of God. He was connected dynamically to God. Listen to me now. As a man as a man a human being amongst all other of mankind who were spiritually dead to him and in the dark listen if you are a professing believer i I should probably define that a believer being i have repented and believed on christ according to the gospel revealed in his word Understanding that only in Christ can I be forgiven and gain a relationship with God 
that's going to last forever. Okay, that's what I mean by believer. Not, well, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. If you talk to people, that's usually what, you believer, yep, yep, believer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the biblical sense, you have a relationship with God and you know why. You know what God has done to grant you that. Okay? So he was connected to God as a man amongst others who were not. So to professing believers, you too, you too are no mere sinful, spiritually dead man or woman. Not anymore. Are you hearing me? That should gain an amen, I think, since there's people here. You, you online, let's hear it. Amen? Oh, wow. It's a two-way communication. Yeah. No mere sinful, spiritually dead man or woman. You've been reborn, John chapter 3, through faith in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, into the image of the second Adam. You have been recreated and resurrected in the fully alive image of God. You are connected as a man or as a woman amongst other of mankind who are spiritually dead to him and in the dark because they don't get the gospel. They haven't humbled themselves in the hearing of the gospel. What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus was pecu- I shouldn't ask for that amen. I'm going to, I'm going to get... <laughs> That's what I love about kids. You know, they're just, they just go. They don't stop. Uh, do it again. Okay. Spiritually dead to him and in the dark. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus was peculiar in essence... You've been born again by that same spirit into that same peculiar essence. You are different, right? Aren't we? We're different. So relish in that. Let's just relish in that. Covet that. Value that. Because I don't think there's anything more pathetic and confusing in this world than when a truly peculiar, spiritually alive believer chooses to live in the unpeculiar dark of the spiritually dead. That's just so confusing. You know who's confused by that? The world around, but you know who else is? The person that's trying to live with a foot in each place. A foot in a kingdom and a foot in a world. Because a lot of bad things happen in that. First of all, you lose your hope. Where's the eternal hope in that? And where's the assurance in that? Are you really really truly say if you're not living the spirit-filled life of that you're going to begin to doubt because it's the holy spirit who gives you that assurance and if you're squishing him and quenching him and grieving him all the time you're going to start to fluctuate in your assurance of where you stand and where's besides that where's the joy in it see jesus it was awesome he was peculiar in his essence and through his work and through his blood we can get a piece of that and start to walk, learn to walk in it now. And then in eternity, we'll have it to its fullest. It's going to be awesome. Now, Jesus was not only peculiar in essence, he was peculiar in his purpose, okay? He was peculiar in, you could say, he was peculiar on purpose too. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Next three words. Give his life as a ransom for many. You know, most people, 
Most people don't do what they do to give and, and to give their life away. That's just not what floats our motivational boat, you know. That's not their purpose. But Jesus, he gave all he had. All he had as a man for all you could become. He gave his life, he gave his back to a Roman scourge, and he gave his soul to bear the weight of the world's sin. And his purpose was to love and serve his father, number one, and to love and serve us in that way. To provide for us the only way to life. In John 12, 27, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem. It was days, just a few days before his death. Remember, he rides in on the back of a colt of a donkey. And, and he said at that time, now my heart is troubled. And, and what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from, from this hour? He said, no. It was, give me the next four words. Read it with me. For this very reason, for this very reason that I came to this hour. Jesus was peculiar in his purpose to lay down his life. And I'm telling you, folks, when we give ourselves away in Jesus' name, we wear, to some extent, that, that beautiful peculiarity of purpose. It's called sacrifice. Sacrifice. Be peculiar like Jesus. Not only was Jesus peculiar in essence and peculiar in purpose, I love this one. Uh, this was such a cool message to write. That's all I'll say about that. It, was just, it just really encouraged me. He was peculiar in speech. In speech. Mark chapter 8. Jesus announced to the 12 that he would be killed in Jerusalem and raised from the dead three days later. Of course, it went in one ear and out the other. They had no framework to process that information. They thought he was going to kick the Romans' tails, you know. So they couldn't get that. But in, in verse 32 of chapter 8, it says this. You read the first three words. You ready? Go. Okay. It's, that's easy to read right past. But if you pay attention in the New Testament, if you read an NIV, I'm not sure what it is in the ESV or King James, I think it says something about him speaking plainly. But it says he spoke plainly about this. That phrase right there, he spoke plainly, is the translation of one of my favorite original words, the Greek word, some of you know it. Oh, you're not connecting with me on this one. Yeah, you will. Paresia. That's paresia right there. Paresia. Let me read to you Strong's definition, the whole thing. You ready? Paresia. All outspokenness. For example, frankness, bluntness, publicity. By implication, assurance. Boldly, boldness, boldness of speech. Confidence. To speak freely, to speak openly, to speak plainly. So he spoke plainly about this. He spoke with paresia about this. And Peter hears this, and he doesn't like it a bit. And it says, 
The passage goes on, the rest of 32 says, and Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he says, excuse me, you shouldn't talk like that. No, that's not what he said. He said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he, he turns to the crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anybody's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Listen. Listen to Jesus' words, man. Listen to this. First, he lays it out. No beating around the bush. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise. And then Peter objects, and Jesus says, enough of that, Satan. And then to the crowd, look, if you're going to follow me, you have to die too. That's amazing. Folks, Jesus spoke the truth without any fear of man. Now, that is not to say that he wasn't gentle. He was very gentle. But he wasn't afraid to speak truth to sin or speak truth to power. And that same peculiarity, listen to me now, can be ours in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you agree with this exclamation? Oh, to be unafraid. Does that resonate with you? Oh, to be unafraid. I have a sign above the door of my office on the north side. It's right at the top of the door, right in the center. First, I got a bunch of quotations all over, but this one I put intentionally right in the center of the door, and it asks this question. And I I walk under that every time I come in here. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Listen, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Jesus wasn't. And the power of his spirit lives in us. He was peculiar in speech. He was untouched by the fear of man. And I'm telling you, so many people are dominated by fear. So, so much fear. And I'm not talking about just outside in the world. I'm talking about in the church too. So many times I see us relating to each other in a way that has driven decisions made by fear of what someone might say or someone might think. And I don't think that's what should be driving us. Do you? Untouched by the fear of man. Jesus was peculiar in speech. He spoke with parousia. Another one. What's this? The fourth one? I think it's the fourth one. Jesus was peculiar in witness. In witness. This is a good one. You ready for this? Say yeah if you're ready for this. It's so nice to talk to faces. I mean, we did last week. There were some here, but you were sitting way in the back. There's more a little bit closer this week. Listen, he was peculiar in witness. While it's true that, that Jesus preached, and he, and he preached boldly to, to big crowds, an example of that, his first message in his public ministry explained right from the get-go how one entered the kingdom of God. Right after Jesus was baptized by John and tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the Bible says, Mark 1.15, Jesus went, through, uh, went from there into Galilee proclaiming the good news. You know what that is, right? That's the gospel. So he goes, his first message, he's preaching his first messages in public ministry. And he says, the time, 
Anybody take a guess at what Greek word that is? I bet Nathan knows. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, gave it away, didn't I? Sorry. I'm supposed to take those out of there. Uh, yeah, it's kairos. Kairos. That means the time, not on your wristwatch, but the time of God's purpose has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. And here's what he preached. Repent and believe the good news. Now, he's peculiar in witness. So while it's true that Jesus preached to large groups of people, what I find compelling is Jesus' one-on-one conversations with people. Sometimes he boldly went right to the point. Like with Nicodemus, John 3. Nicodemus says, man, I know there's something special about you because the stuff you do, man, it's crazy. And Jesus said, I can just see him looking at him. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus had no clue what he was talking about. He went right to the heart of the matter. Evidently, Nicodemus' heart was ready to handle that. But often you find Jesus asking questions and listening to people. That's what's crazy. Like in Mark 10, guy asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good? (laughs) Jesus answers his question with this question. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God. The implications are that, or this. As you and I talk here, I'll, I'll receive that good label, but you got to understand the only good one is God. So you got to take what I say as from God. That's what I believe the implications were. John 5, 6 is another. Jesus seeks out a guy at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus sought him out. He'd been crippled for 38 years. And, and when he finds him, he asks him this peculiar question. Hey, you want to get well? That's crazy. And the, the answer that, the, we won't go into it, but the answer the guy gave is so revealing. John chapter 9, another one. Jesus had anointed a guy who was blind from birth with a mixture of mud and spit. And he told him to go wash it off in the pool of Siloam, way down the hill south of the Temple Mount. Later on, he runs into the guy after he washed and was healed, and he asks him in John 9, 35b, do you believe in the Son of Man? There's a loaded question. Luke 10, when asked by an expert in the law, this is a Jew above Jews, man. He was an expert in the law. Which was the greatest commandment? Jesus answered with this question. Verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Uh, let's just highlight that one right there. Somebody asks you a Bible question because they know you go to church. How about using that? Well, what's the passage again? Can you read it to me? Okay, what do you think it means? Now you have not just you're the Bible answer person. Now you have a conversation. That's kind of what we want, I think. How do you read it? And what followed after that interchange was Jesus, he tells a parable of the good Samaritan. Say, Samaritan, Samaritan. Ooh, remember, this guy was a Jewish expert in the law. And afterward, Jesus asked the guy, when the story's done, yet another question. Luke 10, 36. Well, which uh, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? What's the answer? The Samaritan. (laughs) But the guy couldn't even say it. 
Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. He said the one that showed mercy. And he went away humbled. My point is this, folks. Jesus was peculiar in witness in that he so often engaged the question asker with a question of his own. And then Jesus listened. <laughs> he listened to the guy's answer. That's genius. That is genius. Obvious. And then Jesus listened to witness by first listening. Wow, who'd have thunk it? I think we would do well to be peculiar in the same way. To not just tell biblical truth to people, but to ask questions and to listen to what Listen for what they already believe about things. You know what happens? You know who they are then. You know where they hurt. You know where they're confused. And then when you earn their trust, they'll be more open to the Spirit of God and the gospel and to you. I, I think that is so important. Be peculiar in witness. Next one, um, Jesus was peculiar in confidence. I mean, just in confidence. You know what I'm saying by that? No insecurity, no uncertainty. He was confident. You know, in my experience, including the Christian in the mirror, Christians can be so insecure. It, it surprises me sometimes that anybody would want to hear what we say sometimes. We are oh so afraid that someone's going to get upset with us. Out there in the world and in the church. So afraid of that. Listen, Jesus didn't ever, and I say ever, struggle with the fear of man. What he was concerned with was doing his father's will, saying the very words that his father would have him to say. That was his concern. He wasn't afraid of the fear of man. He didn't have the fear of man, and neither does the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, and so Many other places in the Gospels. This is just an example, Mark one twenty-two. The people, it says, were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Because, why were they amazed? The content? That's not what it says. It says, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus was very confident. He knew who he was and what he was about, what he was here for. Confidence, by the way, if you didn't notice, is one of the ways that our word parousia from earlier is translated. And I'd say, oh, that we could live our lives in confident and humble faith. And I think the reason sometimes, at least for me, that we don't, that I don't, is when I just kind of slide away from the word and I, I just forget it. I forget what's in it. I forget the principles that define me. We don't know the word. We don't know the Savior very well. 
Because I'm telling you, if you invest your time and life with Jesus and with his word, you will gain in confidence and boldness because it'll be his, his confidence and boldness. And you will thus become peculiar like Jesus. You won't be, you'll never be unafraid, by the way, okay? I'm not talking about the elimination of all fear. That's not, in this body, in this flesh, you're, you're going to battle that. But what happens in Jesus' presence, a wall that's that high that I got to get over, the more time you spend with Jesus, it starts to shrink. So you've got to step over fear into faith, into courage. And I got a quote on my wall that says something about that courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. But you spend time alone with Christ, and fear starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller to climb over into confidence, into courage. Pretty soon you can just step right over it. It's all it's still there, but you, you can step right over it into the boldness and confidence of Christ and become peculiar like Jesus. And folks, what I'm talking about now is, is really incarnational stuff. Because the gospel is more than leaving a tract. Um, I grew up in a church that loved tracts. Sometimes didn't like to engage with people very much. But leave a track on the table or give a track to somebody and walk away and you just shared the gospel. Now that's, that's okay to some extent. I'm not, I'm not faulting that. Even that takes courage. But the gospel's more than a tract or a manual. It, it is woven into you and into me. We got to go there. We got to be willing to go there and be there. That's why I think asking questions, like we said before, is so important. And then listening. Peculiar, like Jesus. Peculiar. What was that one? In confidence? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Save this one for last. Not only was Jesus, let's see, where were we? Peculiar in essence. He was peculiar in purpose. He was peculiar in speech. He was peculiar in witness. He was peculiar in confidence. And you're probably guessing the last one. He was peculiar in love. John 13, 1. Uh, it was just before the Passover feast. We would call it the Last Supper. In other words, Jesus is about 12 hours from getting brutally tortured. And it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then, of course, he went on, John 13, to wash their feet and to begin to teach them passionately about the Holy Spirit. He taught them about the comfort. He taught them about joy in John 15. He taught them about all sorts of things, how the world was going to, to react and respond to them and hate on them because of their relationship with Jesus. And he taught them all sorts of stuff. And I tell you, 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 
it just amazes me that he is so close, right up to the cross, and his passion and desire and, and time is spent teaching them. It was about them. It wasn't about him. And you want to talk about peculiar in love. You know, most of us still think today, and I, I think I shared this as an example last week, of somebody saying this very thing. Most of us still think to some extent that treating people right is really important, and it is. But here's, here's what, I would, what I would ask. Somebody that gives that as the reason they're good with God. What about how you treat your enemies? You, treat, you want to treat people right and say, that's why I'm in good? What about your enemies? Because Jesus loved not just his disciples in the crowds. He loved his enemies. Now that is, to this day, very peculiar. Matthew chapter 5, 40, 43 to 48, Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's pretty much what standard human accepted. Yeah, I, I can buy that. Well, that's what the, the Jewish, through the centuries, the Jewish, that's where they came. That's where they landed. You love, love people that you like, and if those are against you, you don't have to love them. So Jesus says, you've heard that, but here's what I'm telling you. And he raises the bar like to the moon, to a level that nobody can get over. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What's he like? Well, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain, the blessing of rain, yeah, on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You see, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Tax collectors were like the lowest of the low. His audience would have connected with that reference. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? So here's the standard. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he talking about? Oh, perfect love loves even its enemies. I can't do that. I don't even want to. In myself, in my heart, apart from God, apart from Christ, Jerry Kissling does not want to do that. I wouldn't do that. It's not, like, it's not like, oh, I'd feel compelled. Oh, I want to love my enemies, but I'm having trouble doing No, it's like, no thanks. I can't do that. Not of myself. I can't love that way. And, and I don't think you can either. Shoot, most of us in the room today can't even show any kindness or gentleness with our spouses in a conflict. We struggle with that, and that's our spouse, the closest person to us in the world, and we're talking about loving our enemies. Enemies, those that speak terrible about me, stab me in the back, gossip about me, those that hate me, that is a peculiar and a powerful love. And most of us don't, wouldn't even want that apart from Christ. 
That's how peculiar it is. There's only one way that I, you and I can be peculiar like Jesus in his love. Are you ready? This is a familiar verse, but look at it through the lens we're looking at it here. Because we're looking at hope and peculiarity. You ready? This is Romans 5.5. 5. Hope, it says, does not disappoint us. Because, here's what God has done. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has what? Whom he has what? Given us. I have a question. Most of you in here that I can see, I know a little bit about, and I know that you're professing believers, but maybe there's some online. Maybe you're just curious and you're kind of listening and it's like, you know, there's something yanking your chain, pulling your heart. You don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you're up against a trial or trouble. We all are in this thing, but maybe there's something unique that, that you're just really struggling with. Here's my question for you. It says, the Holy Spirit whom God has given you, have given us. My question for you is, has God given you the Holy Spirit? If you don't understand that, and you don't understand how that, what he means by that, and what that's all about, you need to. You need to understand that. Because the Holy Spirit is God's presence and involvement in your life and in the person that you are becoming for his glory. And if you don't understand that, you've got to seek that out right here. Find someone that can help you. Because in that is your eternal destiny. Back to professing believers as I close here. Uh, I was in my mid-20s. Bonnie and I had just moved to Ohio, and I had begun my teaching career there. God was stirring in my heart at the time that led me eventually into the ministry. I'd just started teaching. I taught for 15 years, so he was kind of yanking my chain. And at that time, he saved me, not from the salvation from, from hell and myself and all that, but he saved me as a Christian from my critical, judgmental self, a work he continues to do. <laughs> Excuse me. At the time, we, had just, we were looking for a church, and we landed in the church that I'd grown up with, and and in my pride and arrogance, I was at the time all fed up and in the, you know, the arrogance of a 20-some-year-old. Pardon, you know, pardon me if you're in your 20s. But maybe when you're old as I am, you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I was all fed up with the shallowness of the church that I was in. Shallowness, I'll put that in quotes, okay? That's what it looked like to me. And at, at the same time that, that my that was growing in me. I was in the word a lot. I was in the gospels and the peculiar things about Jesus were just, just jumping off the pages. As I read and, and the Bible, I, I often put it this way, it was coming alive to me really for the, for the first time and the most that it had ever done in my life. I was saved at 11, but and I would read and stuff, but kind of struggle with it. And 
It wasn't very exciting. It was getting exciting to me. And so I was using it, using what I was seeing as a club to beat on other professing Christians that I deemed weren't measuring up to Jesus' peculiarity that I was seeing in all of my wisdom. Finally, I tell you, if, if God hadn't rescued me from that, I certainly wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't even know who I was. <laughs> I'd be someplace else. But finally, God got it through my thick head. And he said something like this. I'm not, these aren't words I heard with my audible voice, but this is the lesson he taught me. He said, Jerry, I am not showing you this so you can measure others and find them lacking in stature. This kind of peculiar kind of peculiar is what I want you to be. Don't judge this upon them, Jerry. Be this to them. Be this to them. And I, that's when discipleship and a curiosity about the souls of people, strangers in stores, I'd have, I'd have conversations and ask them questions and some of them would engage with you. And you, it was just, I had this Holy Spirit generated curiosity. It was like, I want to know about everybody. Oh, about everybody. <laughs> And, and start to tell me. I just believed in my heart because the Holy Spirit was in me, Jesus was in me, that if, if, if I found a friend, a man of peace, friend, a man of peace, maybe, as Jesus described in Luke 9 or 10 or whatever it is, that, that if they let Jesus in too, because he was in me. And that, that's how I, I operated at that time. Be this to them. Be this to them. Folks, the hope of being peculiar is to be peculiar like Jesus. There it is. Let's pray. Father, there are a lot of other things where things we bring out. Certainly this six, I think, things isn't all there is to the peculiarity of Jesus. We could talk about to the peculiarity of Jesus. We could talk about um, so many other things. But it is what it is. This is what I believe you have spoken to me today. May you speak it through me and into hearts. I pray that you would stir in hearts that uh, this whole peculiarity thing that we would, you would do a work in this church, purify us, help us to repent from the fear of man and the fear of each other and to live. I think of the early church in Acts 4 when they were threatened, they got together and they prayed, Lord, 
you take their threats. They just gave the threats that they were getting from the powerful people to you. And they said, Lord, you, you take care of the threats and enable us to speak your word boldly with parousia to people. That was their prayer. So we give you our fears and pray that you would enable us to speak your word First of all, to desire it, to study it, to know it, and then to speak it with purity and power and gentleness and boldness and find those that want to hear. Hear. A lot of people don't, but some do, and they don't know where to turn. And I believe there's, some of those people are in our community and, and in the places we work. They keep those things hidden. Keep those things hidden. It's hidden. Those uncertainties and their fears and their, their, and about God, they keep those hidden. Because the culture has, has told us, you're supposed to talk about those things. Father, help us not to obey that message, but to obey your word. Because we are here, according to 1 Peter, to declare your praises. And I pray for your, your spirit uh, to, to step over fear uh, into confidence and into the peculiarities of Jesus and it's in his name that I pray this for me and for this for me okay, and for these people online. Keep us, Lord, uh, safe. Help us to consider the safety of others even as we gather here today. Even as we gather here today, as we fellowship, we fellowship. Thank you. We, uh, we're not going to take for granted being together. And I pray a special blessing on those that decided they, they couldn't risk it. There is a risk here. I understand that. And I respect those that, that weren't able or decided not to come. I just pray a special blessing on them. And I, I thank you for keeping keep them in your word and, and give them physical blessings of health and life. Um, help us to worship you as we close here today. And afterward, as we, as we fellowship, to continue that worship in his name. Amen.